everybody welcome to episode 175 of the man of screen podcast i am your host mike zumo and this episode i'm going to be discussing episodes 13 and 14 of season two of the salt kind produced superboy television show which means i am going to finish this episode at the halfway through season two with the episodes super menace and yellow perry spell of doom i had mentioned last week when i talked about a magazine article that was sent to me by uh listener Jeffrey Arnold, that he had sent me another one about the Ruby Spears show, and I said I would look at that before I re- recorded the next episode, which is this one. And this one really doesn't talk very much about the show. It doesn't really offer anything in great detail about the uh, animated show. It talks a little bit about the animation style with the Gil Kane uh, artwork, and it talked about how they tried to uh, do a little bit of... Uh, more expensive animation style to the show with Marv Wolfman, who was the uh, main story editor on the show, talked a little bit about the way he looks at Superman and he sees Superman as somebody who doesn't talk a whole lot, which is interesting because I believe one of the notes that Wolfman got throughout the course of his being a story editor on the show was to add more dialogue. Wol- Wolfman wanted to do more with the animation. He wanted Superman to talk less, kind of almost like uh, Maybe talk a little bit more than he did in the Fleischer shorts, but but he wanted him to be a similar, uh, more reserved character. So I'll talk a little bit about that. It basically outlines the plan for what at that time was considered the first season. Uh, apparently, there were characters that he could, couldn't could use, like they couldn't use Brainiac, for instance. But the article was mostly uh, about Wolfman and his experience uh, with the show. And uh, one thing I did find uh, kind of interesting about him... Uh, the article mentioned that Wolfman was mildly irked when a question was raised as to whether the cartoon would be the quote-unquote John Byrne Superman. And basically Wolfman said that at that time there was no John Byrne Superman anymore because he was uh, off the book. And what and he did mention something I saw early on is that the interpretation we saw of Superman in the Ruby Spears cartoon was kind of a combination of things that we had seen previously. I thought it was a great mix of uh, the George Reeves Superman and Clark Kent. It was a great combination of many different versions of Superman rolled rolled into one. He does refer to though to Lex Luthor as the current Lex Luthor being that he was again while he was mainly the um, businessman version of Lex, he talked and acted a lot like the Gene Hackman Luthor. So it's an interesting read. I mean, if you can find it, it was it was the October 1988 issue of Comic Scene Magazine. If you're interested in taking a look. Or if you, if you have the ability to uh, track that down, I uh, thank Jeff for sending this over to me. And also, it does have a little bit about what at that time was the upcoming Superboy show. And it talks a little bit about John Hames Newton's approach to Clark Kent. And basically what Newton says is that he's here. I'm going to read the quote from you. That's why the role is so incredible, says Newton, because I'm not about a superhero. I'm a real kid going to college majoring in journalism, and the story's about that. 
The story is about a kid growing up who just happens to have superpowers. And as the series unfolds, it's neat how I had to learn to deal with all the various problems that crop up, establishing things for adventures to come for when I'm older. In playing the uh, facade between the two characters, Superboy and Clark Kent, I am playing Clark Kent more real. I'm not sure what he means by more real. I guess in the sense that uh, maybe the nerdy version of Clark feels a little bit more cartoony to him. But what the other article mentioned that I talked about last week is that Haynes Newton was vehemently opposed to the nerdy Clark that we're seeing from Gerard Christopher at this point in the show. And then it talks a little bit about the Salkinds and what rights they own to the various uh, Superman films. Talks about the involvement of DC Comics, which apparently uh, DC was very involved in the writing process and they had the right to kind of oversee revisions uh, of the scripts even as late as during shooting. All right, so there's really not much else to talk about there. I just thought it was interesting the contrast between uh, John Hames Newton's interpretation of Clark and what we're seeing uh, right now from Gerard Christopher. So I just wanted to point that out. Again, that is the October 1988 issue of Comic Scene Magazine. If you're interested in uh, checking that out and you have the ability to find it, you know, track it down. It's an uh, interesting read. So thank you, uh, Jeffrey, for sending me not only this article, but the uh, the one I talked about last week as well. Now I want to go into a little bit of feedback. Feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave's writing in on Man of Screen, episode 164. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. While neither of the episodes this time was especially strong, I had a slight preference for Bird Woman of the Swamps. If only for the presence of James MacArthur as Hogan. MacArthur, the son of famed actress Helen Hayes, was in several Disney movies in the early 1960s and famously played Danny, Bookum Dano, Williams, the sidekick to Steve McGarrett in the original Hawaii Five-O. Seeing him as Hogan, the villain of this episode, was fun. I could certainly accept a young, trusted Superboy taking Hogan's apparent sympathy at face value, but it's good to see that eventually he caught on. I think the idea that he was so easily fooled was part of what made Superboy so angry later. He was angry at himself, too, for falling for that and when he confronts hogan his first charge is you're a liar which for such an honest person as superboy may be the worst thing of all terror from the blue was a little too cookie cutter for my taste we've all seen so many bad cop stories that beyond the presence of a super being from another planet oh um this one really doesn't offer much of great interest live long and prosper dave well as always uh thank you dave for writing in i don't have a ton to add about uh the bird woman of the swamps i mean i didn't recognize james MacArthur as hogan uh Dave was always uh, one to give me an education on uh, old-time TV shows. I do remember the original Hawaii Five-O, but I didn't watch a ton of it. I just kind of remember it as something my grandmother watched. And uh, as far as uh, the Uriah thing being the first charge, I might have misrepresented that. I'm not sure. Because he does say, when he lists uh, Hogan's charges, the least of which, you're a liar, even though he does mention that first. He kind of goes from uh, least serious to most serious as he list off uh his crimes but yeah it did uh i do think it bothered him that uh hogan uh lied to him and that he fell for it terror from the blue i pretty much said everything i had to say about that episode during that episode and dave's right it really doesn't offer much of great interest other than uh no nah, it doesn't even offer the, offer that either i'm not sure what i was gonna say it offered but I, I decided it doesn't offer it so that's that thank you dave for writing in if uh, you'd like to write into man screen at gmail.com so now I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and when I come back, Super Menace. Hang around, folks. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. 
The year is 1994 or 1944 or maybe 2994. Time is under threat and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis and how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Legion. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start this episode off with Super Menace. Original broadcast date was January 13th, 1990. It was directed by Richard J. Lewis. And it was written by Michael Marr. Guest cast included Michael Callan as John Corbin, Metallo. Jim McDonald as General Swan. That is obviously a nod to longtime Superman penciler, Kurt Swan. Richard Voigt as Warren Ordway, which again is another nod this time to uh, writer and artist uh, Jerry Ordway, who had a huge hand in the uh, post-crisis Superman uh, after John Byrne left. I believe, uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head who became the Kind of the main writer after John Byrne left. Ordway was working over on Adventures of Superman. He, I mean, John Byrne wrote Superman right through uh, issue number 22. And then Roger Stern wrote Superman through the Exile arc. And Ordway then went over to Superman for a time before uh, Dan Jurgens uh, took over the book. But most of Ordway's most notable work, I believe, was done in the Adventures of Superman title which he was on pretty much from the launch of the post-crisis from issue 424, which is where I believe Adventures of Superman took over from uh, volume one of the original Superman title. And he stayed involved with the Superman titles, mostly on Adventures of Superman, through issues 500, with a brief run on uh, for about maybe a year or two on the main Superman title. But this is not a uh, comics p- podcast. This is a TV podcast, so it's moving back here. To, the, to our guest cast from this episode. Barry Mazursky as the first scientist and Henry J. Walesko as the second scientist. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. At a lab on a military base, General Swan waits while scientists prepare to run a test on kryptonite to try and, and remove its danger to Superboy, yet retain its radioactive power. Superboy arrives to witness the test and Swan gives the signal to proceed. They neutralize the kryptonite with a red beam, turning it red. Swan and Superboy enter the room after the test to find that it doesn't weaken him. Superboy shakes the general's hand, thanking him for his efforts, and crushes it. He is apparently amused by his strength and burns a hole in the wall, saying, Letting the world know who's in charge. As he goes through it. At the dorm, Andy reads a story in the paper detailing acts of violence committed by Superboy. Hmm. Listen to this. For the past 24 hours, Superboy has held the city hostage with random acts of violence. After defeating a battalion of police officers, he flew off, vowing to take the money he was owed for all he did for America. Huh. Incredible, huh? (laughs) Somebody had a rough day at the library, huh? Clark, is something wrong? What's your problem? 
What's your problem? I mean, how would you like to live with that every day? Get him out of here, Lana. I'm not in the mood. Come on, Andy. Fine. Let's just leave him alone. He must be pretty upset about what happened to Superboy. At a home for the criminally insane, Swan is taken to the room of Metallo. Oh, Northway. What a pleasant surprise. Who's your friend with the fancy outfit? This is General Swan, Metallo. My pal. Nice to see you. You forgive me for not rising to the occasion. I got a bad ticker. Plus, I got all this excess baggage. The generals come here with a proposition for you. Oh, deal. <laughs> Lucky me. It's uh, about Superboy. You see, Superboy's head. This oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I seen it. I seen it all on the news. You guys really got your hands full, don't you? You know, I, uh, uh I could have beat the, uh, the pants off that, that little squirt the, the last time we fought. <laughs> Except, he got lucky. That's why I'm here. We need your help to stop Superboy. Oh, you gotta be kidding. I mean, look at me. I'm half, I'm half robot, for God's sakes. I, I weigh a ton. I can't even get up to change the channel on a damn TV. If my people could fix that, make you more powerful than you've ever been, would you help us stop him then? Stop him? <laughs> I'd kill him. No. We want him alive. Oh, that's no fun. We want to try to help him change him back the way he was. Well, say I did stop him, huh? What would happen to me then? That you would disconnect me and I would land right back here? Nah. We're prepared to offer you a full pardon. No strings attached. Nah, I don't think so. We need to get started right away. That's why I brought this. That's what I've been waiting for. <laughs> Plug me in and sign me up, Sarge. I'm a lucky guy. <laughs> We're in the army now. At the local bank, Superboy makes off with some money. A deuce pulls up in the parking lot and hop, out hops Metallo. The two duke it out until Metallo's partially shielded kryptonite heart begins to weaken Superboy. With Superboy pinned down under the radiation, Metallo cranks it up to full power, and Superboy goes unconscious. Metallo thinks he's dead, and General Swan fires a missile at Metallo to stop him. Superboy recovers from his exposure and flies away. Back at the dorm, Clark, Clark returns, and so does his bad attitude. Oh, where you been, Clark? Leave me alone. Oh, are you okay? I said, leave me alone! You know, you're upset about Superboy, okay, we all are. You know, but you just you gotta and get a grip a on yourself. TV Shut up! We're going to the Crescent Bank where Michelle Shepard is standing live with a special report. Michelle? Give me that. Give me it. Hey, hey, Superboy. I sure hope you're out there watching because I want to thank you for making this this bank such easy pickings. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? It's like we're a team. <laughs> That's my money. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I got my money, I got my babes, and I'm a lucky guy. <laughs> What a geek. I wonder how he got mixed up in all this. Money. Obviously, an unplanned interruption. While Lana is in her room, Superboy busts in and makes her get dressed. At a bar, Metallo is having a drink with his girls until Superboy walks in with Lana. 
Bartender, give me a bottle. Now! That's for you, Metallo. Thanks a lot, pal. How do you like my squeeze? I like the chick. She ain't so bad. Lots of other broads around, but she'll do for now. Look at yourself. Do you know what you're doing? She got a big yap, don't she? <laughs> you're right. Why don't you split? Get lost. There are lots more broads around this place. I hope you come back to us, Superboy. <laughs> I like your style, kid. You know, I've been thinking. luck we could be running this country in one month yeah yeah and I got the perfect plan huh. spill it we take that military base tomorrow that's the one where they perform those operations to improve you right yeah right right you uh you think that they could make me even stronger we'll force them to hell it's a golden opportunity I mean, I see one problem. What's that? I mean, I can't get close to you. That's why I brought this. It's lined with enough lead to protect me from your kryptonite. Oh, hey. <laughs> Forget it, pal. You don't need that. All I gotta do is just turn down the juice. You'll be fine. <laughs> Incidentally, where did you pick this up? Huh? I took it off a cop. Oh, say no more, partner. <laughs> The following day, Superboy and Metallo arrive at the base. They break in, and the military's effort to stop them fails. Lana arrives as they forge ahead to the lab. Once inside the lab, Metallo is about to grab a second chunk of kryptonite until Superboy turns on him. He shoots the red beam at both the kryptonite on the test platform and in Metallo's heart chamber. Metallo collapses, and then Superboy goes to finish him off. General Swan tries to stop him, but Lana walks in. Superboy, don't. We can help you. No, we can't. Do it. Kill him. What are you, a coward? Don't back down now, Superboy. Just one punch, and he's finished. Kill him. I... I can't. Oh, good. I can't. I can't kill. Where am I? I don't remember anything. Why did you do that? I don't know. I just knew that you couldn't hurt anybody, so I let you make your own decisions by using reverse psychology. Well, thanks for stalling me long enough for that second dose of red kryptonite to cure me. Terribly sorry, Superboy. It was all our fault. I'll accept full responsibility and clear your name. And what about Metallo? I'll have my men put him back where he belongs. Are you gonna be all right? 
I really don't remember too much about what happened, but do you think you can ever forgive me? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can. <laughs> Left alone, Metallo weakly rises from behind the pedestal, holding the red kryptonite and sporting an evil smile. Now, you know, if this episode were made today, we would have, it would be followed by half a season of the city not trusting Superboy and or Superman, as the case may be. One note I want to make before I get into uh, this episode, and uh, this episode gives us a new opening sequence as there are some shots, such as uh, some from the Power of Evil, the Superboy rest in peace episode there was a new shot in there from a program for death as well there were some of the original opening sequence in there too and there were a ton of shots from this episode including the uh superboy melting the wall with his heat vision as he leaves the lab after he uh, succumbs to the red kryptonite and uh of course the one of lana in her bathrobe is uh is from this episode as well when superboy bursts into her room they basically get the reaction shot and that's used for uh right before stacy uh, heidek's name comes up so I'm not sure why they needed to redo the opening credits uh, in the middle of the season, but they did. So that is pretty much that. Just wanted to uh, get that right out there because it's worth noting. So the episode starts with the scientists experimenting with the kryptonite. And there's these two new scientists, I guess. Uh, we get a bit of dialogue about Professor Peterson being called to Addis Ababa. For those of us who remember the kryptonite kills episode, that is where the kryptonite was found. That is a direct nod to Superman the movie. Because the kryptonite was found there as well. My guess is that George Shakiris was unavailable, maybe, for this episode. And that is why they had to give us this uh, that little line to uh, suggest he was uh, not there. According to George Shakiris' IMDb page, as we saw, he made his most recent appearance in uh, Superboy's Deadly Touch. He has one more appearance, an episode called Micro Boy, which I'll be covering next week. And that is... The last time we're going to see George Shakiris as Professor Peterson in this show. So anyway, for whatever reason, George Shakiris is not here. He's not here. Maybe they only booked him for a certain amount of episodes for the season, and it was more important to have him in Microboy as opposed to this one. I don't know. My guess is that he was unavailable. So they're trying to nullify his effect on Superboy, so it won't be a bother to him. But you know, turning into iron is out of the question, like in the Kryptonite Nevermore story, basically because the military wants its radioactive properties to fuel whatever it is they're going to fuel. So, these two scientists here, they shine a red laser on the kryptonite, and uh, lo and behold, our green kryptonite turns red. And the reflection is so bright that it even has Superboy cover in his eyes. So, I guess uh, when uh, I guess it's, it was bright enough that it bothered him as well, being that it's kryptonite, really shouldn't be any surprise there. So, now that the kryptonite has turned red, they're all invited in, and the scientists tell us that they've nullified the uh, deadly radiation, and uh, Superboy picks up the red kryptonite, holds it, at first, I thought maybe he was going to throw it up and down like a baseball or something, but he doesn't. But he is uh, pretty happy uh, that it's not deadly to him. So no ill effects just yet. But uh, when he's uh, thanks to General Swan, he uh, suddenly has a major attitude problem and basically breaks his hand. And uh, General Swan just kind of falls in a heap. So he's uh, going to let the world know who's in charge. And yeah, he's pissed. The... Uh, you know, the little blurb that gives you the description of these episodes says, the red kryptonite renders him apathetic, which basically means you don't care. No, this is uh, downright evil. And it's not like a, the Smallville reacts to red kryptonite where it just 
took away Clark's inhibitions. Now, this has basically altered his personality from good to evil. So, now Superboy is holding the city hostage, and he wants his payment. So, Clark shows up at the dorm and uh, acts uh, pretty nasty to TJ and Lana. And he orders Lana to get Andy out. He actually kicked Andy out of his own room. And he holds up a paper with the episode's title on it, Super Menace. And uh, I believe that shot of Clark crinkling the paper is in the opening sequence as well. So, from what we're seeing right here is that the red kryptonite has a similar effect on Superboy that the uh, fake kryptonite that Gus Gorman ordered had on Superman in Superman 3. I always thought it would have been interesting if, uh, instead of leaving it green in Superman 3, that whatever Gorman did had had the reaction to turn the kryptonite red. You know, the one thing about Superman 3, well, there's a lot of things about Superman 3, but the uh, he should have known better than to immediately take a green uh, piece of media right. If it was red, I could understand him not thinking twice about it because the only kryptonite he would have known is green. Superman 3 is long in the past at this point. It's even in a different decade now, as I am covering my first episode of the 1990s, which is kind of remarkable when you think about where I started. 175 episodes ago, with the first few Fleischer shorts from 1941. So in 175 ish episodes, I've covered roughly 49 years of content. 48, 49, somewhere around there. Anyway, back to the episode. So General Swan is going to move on to his next bad idea which is visiting this uh, Brock home for the criminally insane, and uh, that's apparently where they're keeping Metallo. I don't know if I consider Metallo insane, but, I mean, he's definitely evil. Just because you're evil doesn't mean you're insane. I definitely do believe that there are some Batman villains that should be in Blackgate as opposed to just throwing everybody in Arkham Asylum, but that's neither here nor there. Metallo happens to be in this home for the criminally insane. So uh, General Swan's offer is to give Metallo an upgrade so he can stop Superboy. And offer him a full pardon. When you're desperate, the, the things you will do. And Metallo didn't want to do it. He has uh, nothing to gain by this, at least until uh, General Swan shows up with some kryptonite. I mean, without kryptonite, Metallo can't power his hydraulics. So the deal is kind of a non-starter until that shows up. But it does. Metallo is out. And, you know, you've seen enough things where somebody makes a deal with a villain and there's going to be a double cross. And it's no surprise when it comes here. The objective is for Metallo to take Superboy alive. At least that's General Swan's objective. It comes as no surprise to anybody when Metallo eventually goes overboard after Superboy is uh, robbing uh, this bank, taking the money, and I guess that is his uh, hero's fee. This image of Metallo coming out in an army uniform and a big cigar is hilarious. And, you know, Michael Callan, you know, he hams this roll up and it's just glorious. Now, <laughs> there's kind of an old West moment here where... Superboy and Metallo kind of just staring at each other down the street. Even a piece of tumbleweed blows across the screen. You know, kind of giving you more of that Old West vibe. The problem with the tumbleweed is, while it goes well with the showdown feel of this moment, the tumbleweed is very out of place in this city atmosphere. So now we're going to have a fight here between Superboy and Metallo. It's uh, kind of clear that Michael Callan's punches are not actually hitting Gerard Christopher. Maybe they can uh, sell that a little bit better. But basically, Metallo piles on the kryptonite eventually and cams it up. He's got Superboy at his mercy, and he thinks he's killed him. And that was Metallo's intention from the very beginning. The only way he wants Superboy is dead. And, of course, we knew Metallo would go overboard. Swan reneges on the deal, and uh, because he wanted Superboy alive so they could cure him. But he didn't want Superboy dead. But Superboy's not dead, and he uh, gets away. And uh, now that Metallo has broken the terms of their arrangement, Swan thinks he can just put Metallo back in prison. 
No, that doesn't work out for General Swan at all. That kind of thing never goes well. So uh, we're back at the dorm now. Andy has very quickly turned on Superboy as he's got a black circle with a line through it over one of his glow-in-the-dark Superboy shirts. I don't know, maybe he's showing up a protest. Uh, wearing it around his dorm room is not going to do anybody any good, especially because Clark is going to show up still pissed and harassing Andy. A part of me wondered if uh, the exposure to green kryptonite uh, counteracted the red. That'll happen in a Lois and Clark episode, season four, Lethal Weapon. It didn't because Clark is still acting like a jerk to Andy. So now, after seeing Metallo with his money, or what he believes is his money, and Metallo on TV with uh, two of his groupies, they may or may not be the same groupies from the last time. It doesn't matter. But that gives Superboy an idea. He needs a girl hanging on his shoulder as well. So what does he do? He bursts into Lana's room while she's on the phone in her uh, in her pajamas. And again, he's being uh, abusive to her as well. And uh, he pours out water from Lana's goldfish. She's trying to reason with him. And uh, that doesn't work. And uh, he pushes her around and forces her to get dressed. And he shows up at the bar where Metallo is hiding out. And then, after bringing Lana to the bar to show off his arm candy to Metallo, he kicks his arm candy out for being too mouthy. I guess he can't have it both ways, but in Superboy's words, there are plenty of other broads in the bar. You know, I guess exposure to red kryptonite makes you talk like you're from the 1950s. I mean, maybe people still said broad in 1990. I don't know, but it seems like a very outdated phrase for 1990. Lana is hopeful that he will regain his senses. I guess we'll see. Maybe she'll even have some involvement in that. Stay tuned. So now Superboy is looking to team up with Metallo, and they're going to team up to take over the country. So the good guy and the bad guy are teaming up because because they are. I'm not sure why Metallo is going along with this. I, maybe he sees some kind of opportunity, but you do know at some point somebody is going to double-cross somebody. And for the whole time, I was waiting for Metallo to double-cross Superboy doesn't exactly happen that way and gerard christopher is doing very well with the evil superboy stuff and it looks like he's having a lot of fun he gets a chance to uh be a little more over the top than he gets a chance to do as superboy so you can always tell an actor's having a good time with the role because it shows in the performance and to me this shows gerard christopher and michael callan having a lot of fun i don't know a lot about michael callan outside of his role as metallo maybe dave can enlighten me maybe dave knows but i'm i'm don't I mean, I'm sure he viewed every role seriously. He took every job he had seriously. But I'm sure he looked at this as something where he could have a lot of fun doing it. So it looks like he's having fun. And there's a lot of mutual laughter, too. So it does get old a little bit, but eh, is what it is. So Superboy blows the top off of the tank, and uh, Lana shows up at the base. Uh, We don't see her do much at first, but, you know, the episode just wants us to know that she's there. So eventually Superboy turns on Metallo and turns his kryptonite red. Like I said, you knew there was going to be double cross somewhere. And uh, I'm pretty sure Superboy, who's not turning good, but he obviously recognizes Metallo as a threat to him. And now he can get close enough to Metallo to basically knock his block off. Apparently, uh, Superboy was able to get close enough to Metallo to attack the military base and for them to stand next near each other because Metallo had the ability to turn up or turn down the... Uh, rays kryptonite rays he gave off so if he wants to attack superboy he can just turn it up and if he wants superboy to if he wants to hang out with superboy when he's under the influence of red kryptonite he can just turn the kryptonite down a little bit so now uh we get an interesting turn of events general swan comes in tells superboy to stand down because they can help him 
And then a lot of companies saying, no, they can't kill him. First off, I wonder why, uh, how she just strolled onto the base. Maybe the attack left enough confusion that uh, she could just kind of get through. At first, I wasn't sure why. I was kind of surprised to see Lana acting this way. She's basically egging him on to kill Superboy. Maybe she is, uh, but it works. Superboy suddenly comes too. And her explanation is reverse psychology. Really? That's what she used? Lana, who in the second episode of the season blinked Morse code, is going to save the day by reverse psychology? That's something you see on the uh, elementary school playground, for Christ's sake. And apparently all it did was buy him time. All it did was confuse him long enough to buy time for the second red dose of, crypton- of red kryptonite to cure him, which is not usually how red kryptonite works. Normally the effects wear off in many cases. I'm not sure. Sh- there was a time limit in the old Silver and Bronze Age comics. You know, 36, 48, 72 hours, something like that. I really want to say 36, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But it's normally not a second dose that does it. So now General Swan is going to apologize about what their experiment did to Superboy, and he's going to clear Superboy's name. So everything is going to end very tidily. Again, had. This been written today, there'd be a six-episode arc after this of the public not trusting trusting him, and it'd be more of a subplot than anything else. And uh, conveniently, Superboy doesn't remember uh, much of what happened other than being an asshole and uh, abusing Lana, and uh, Lana's going to forgive him. She kind of plays with Superboy a little bit as if she, when he asks if she can forgive him, and she kind of goes, eh, but she's got a big smile on her face, so you know that she's going to forgive him, and she just eventually just says, yeah. Now... They left the red kryptonite where Metallo could find it, and uh, he's uh, grinning over it as the episode ends. I don't know that we're ever going to see this again, anything about this, but I guess it's just one of those things to tease the end of the episode, kind of like we're going to uh, see at the end of the next episode, you know, kind of a little teaser, maybe we'll see this again, maybe we won't. It would be cool if we did, but I don't know. I don't recall seeing any red kryptonite stuff in the episodes I remember of seasons three and four. There's still a bunch of seasons, still half of season two left, so maybe it will come back. So that was a very good episode. Loads of fun. The uh, reverse psychology thing was a little much. Like I said, I love when, the, when it's clear the actors are having a good time with their roles because it shows. And now we're going to move on to less of a good time as I take a podcast promo break. And when I come back, we're going to discuss Yellow Perry's Spell of Doom. Hang around, folks. Justice League International. Bwahaha Podcast a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International. Blahaha Podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish things off with Yellow Perry's Spell of Doom. This is episode 14 of season two. Original broadcast date is January 20th, 1990. 
Directed by Peter Kiewit and written by Gary Bates and Mark Jones. And our guest cast includes Elizabeth Kiefer as Loretta and Yellow Perry, Georgia Sattel as the student, John Glenn Harding as the bartender, Steve Latshaw as the newscaster, Steve Hansen as Gazook, and James Michael Detmar as the voice of Gazook. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. Clark, Lana, and Andy are at a college hangout. Clark, did you bring it? Oh, yeah, I got it right here. Gosh, it's really special, you know? Um, look, he signed it right there. To Loretta for a super gal from Superboy. Um, gosh, thanks, thanks. I mean, I told him what a big fan you are. And it was really nice. Oh, Clark. No, I got it. It's okay. You know, Clark, I've been asking you for two weeks to set up a meeting with me and Superboy, talk about some of my ideas. And, uh, what do I get, a big fat goose egg? You're talking about those stupid masks. Stupid masks? Yeah. We're talking about most possibly the best-selling item this coming up Halloween, and you say stupid masks? Stupid? Yeah, read my lips. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Um, uh, I'm kind of busy tonight. We're down a bartender, so I gotta get back. Thanks a, a lot, Clark. It's no big deal. Hey, thanks a lot, Clark. She wants you. She needs you, man. Andy, stop it. Come on, guys. Take her, you Viking. <laughs> Later, Loretta is at home and, with an old doll nearby, summons the spirit of Gazook. Unaga Simkada. Oh, great spirit of Gazook, I call you now. Come forth and show me so I may bow. Give me powers. Don't let them lag. Please come alive in this doll of rag. Come forth, O oh great spirit of Kazook. Come forth and guide me. Nothing. I should have known. Did someone call me? Huh? Did someone summon the great Kazook from the dark past? Yes. I did. Well, Chicky, you got me. I live in the body of this doll. I am the great Kazook. I know what you want, Loretta. Yes. You want the love of a man, don't you? Yes. But not just any man will do, huh, Bobby? You want the love of the man they call Superboy. This is the one you love. Yes, he's the one. You must be transformed. You must be beautiful. A knockout. Look at you, an ancient genie, a Perry, beautiful golden hair. I'll call you the Yellow Perry now. Together you and I will perform the most powerful magic in the world, Yellow Perry. 
and we shall cast a love spell on this super boy. <laughs> At the door, Mandy models his Superboy mask and asks Clark to talk to Superboy about it again. Clark tells him not to get his hopes up. At a park on campus, Yellow Perry and Gazook wait in a car nearby, planning to lure Superboy there. Perry uses magic to start a truck. It drives toward Lana, Clark, and Andy, and Clark runs to change into Superboy. He stops the truck from running Lana and Andy down. Perry watches while Superboy signs autographs, daydreaming that he's fallen for her. She becomes discouraged that, in reality, he didn't notice her. <laughs> Look at him, signing autographs. He saw you. He didn't even notice you. Superboy! Our love spell should have worked. It's her! It's her, don't you know, Chicky? You know how glad I am to see you. I'm just glad I could be of help. Well, you always show up when you're needed. Well, so far. Only the true love of another can break this spell. What can I do, Gazook? Do? You're a genie. Get rid of her. It's the only way. How? Simple. Kill her. At the gym, Clark struggles to bench press 10-pound plates as Andy watches. Lana comes in to begin her workout. When Andy changes into workout attire, he bumps into Perry as he leaves the men's locker room and nearly recognizes him. Perry goes to find Gazook, who's buried in the laundry, and gets another word of encouragement. Perry goes back out and casts a spell on Lana, trapping her in a bubble. After running out of air, she passes out. Clark speed climbs the rope and comes back down in a Superboy. He uses his super breath to freeze the bubble to free Lana, and then gives her mouth-to-mouth to revive her. Back at our home, Perry and Gazook are frustrated to see a news report on Superboy saving Lana. You look particularly lovely tonight, my toots. Do I? You really think I look good? Good. You look scrumptious. I do look good, don't I? I really am pretty. Yes, my dear. <laughs> and everyone will know. And Superboy will need your shoulder to cry on now that his friend Lana Lang bought the big farm. In a bizarre incident at Schuster University this afternoon, Superboy reportedly ah, saved a college student from a near-death accident. This is horrible. I can't stand we this. We have a news team heading to the location. We'll have a live report later in this newscast. How does he do it? Superboy, he's always there. And now that girl is still in his heart. If you can't have Superboy, nobody can have him. Do you understand, Yellow Perry? Nobody. You're right, Kazook. And nobody will have him. Not after I do what I have planned. Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. I am the Yellow Perry. No man rejects me. Not even Superboy. Superboy must pay. Pay for passing up your charm, your beauty. The man you love causes you disgrace. Do it all and take away his face. Yes, do it. You'll have no face. This is true. 
at the dorm as Clark reads, his face disappears. He slips on Andy's Superboy mask as he enters the room. <laughs> hey, Clark. I knew you liked that mask. Great. Uh, yeah. Um, I thought that since I told Superboy about it, that I should try one on myself and see what I thought. <laughs> Phenomenal. Yeah, you know there's a fine recipe for you in this. Pretty scary what happened to Liar today, huh? Oh, you know what else? I think I saw Loretta at the gym. At least it sounded like her. Loretta? Yeah, <clears throat> except for she looked good. She looked pretty, you know? And she was wearing this like strange Arabian workout uniform. You know what else was strange? She was in a real hurry. She left during the commotion. Oh, I just remembered. Um, I was supposed to meet with Superboy tonight. I was wondering. Andy, would you mind if I wore one of your masks tonight and kind of show him? Oh, wow, that would be great. Do I mind? No. That would be phenomenal. You know, Clark, I'm really glad that you're so enthused about this. I'll uh, give you a call and let you know how it goes. All right, great, man. Cool. <laughs> great kid. He flies to Loretta's, still wearing the mask. Superboy confronts her and she returns his face, but with Kazook on the sidelines, didn't think instigating the situation, she casts a spell that sets him on fire. When Gazook taunts Superboy, he tries to destroy him using his heat vision to no avail. Superboy then uses the magic fire that's burning him to destroy Gazook. Perry tries to save him, but it's too late, and she changes back to normal. No one will ever love me. Loretta, there are better ways to find love that have nothing to do with magic. Maybe you didn't plan on hurting anyone, but you're still gonna Come back to life, doll of rag. Don't let me alone to die an old hag. Loretta. How can I go, boy of steel? Without Kazook, nothing else seems real. Loretta, I know a place where there are people that can help you. Someday the right man will sweep me off my feet. Someday true love will make my life complete. Someday, Loretta. Someday. God, this episode was painful. Love potions and all these manipulations to get Superboy to fall in love with her. This is not a good episode. And, you know, I don't know, Carrie Bates. I expected more from you, to be totally honest. Oh, I didn't even want to finish this episode, to be honest. And they're only 20 minutes. 22 at the most. Uh, anyway, let's get into this, shall we? We start off at a bar. There's a waitress named Loretta with big glasses and... uh like the synopsis says, very nerdy. Uh, she and Clark will be natural together. But nope, she wants Superboy. Clark brought her a large envelope with an autograph from Superboy. Apparently, Clark is a pretty good friend. They all know Loretta. Again, we've never seen Loretta before. I think this is another kind of thing where if this show were made today, maybe Loretta would have been, uh, maybe we'd have seen the this bar a little bit more. And maybe Loretta would have been a waitress for the you know the first half of the season. But nope, we just have waitress we've never seen before, waitress we don't care about. 
and she's going to become our villain of this piece. You know, I guess it's just a matter of how TV was done back then. There's not a lot of setup that goes into these episodes. These are episodes you can watch in any, in really in any order. It doesn't matter which order you watch them. Well, some of them it does, because some of them are two-parters. But it doesn't matter what, what order you watch a lot of these stories in. I mean, Halloween is mentioned, and I thought Halloween was around the time of uh, the Battle of Bizarro, because Lana and Andy were going to a costume party. Maybe Andy is getting a jump for next Halloween. I don't know. Well, anyway, Andy is trying to set up a meeting with Superboy for a business opportunity, and he's miffed that Clark got an autograph for Loretta, and he won't get Andy a meeting with Superboy about what Lana refers to as the stupid masks. Andy is teasing Clark that Loretta the bartender wants him. Maybe she does. Well, we know she doesn't. We know who she, well, she does want him, but not him, him. She wants other him. Obviously, Clark plays it being uncomfortable. I don't think Clark really has any, uh, feelings for Loretta. Most of Clark's fixation is based on Lana. And it's not even really fixation. Not like we'll see in Smallville. Okay. So there's something weird about Loretta here. She's, uh, at home. She's got a bunch of candles and a lectern and, uh, she's calling down to make sure spirits. Cause you know what? That's when you do when you get an autograph from, uh, your idol. Or the man you want to love you, you you call down the ancient spirit of Gazook to help you. Because bringing a ragdoll to life is normal behavior. At least it is for her. And Gazook, what a name. So now the ragdoll is talking and uh, because it's being inhabited by the uh, great Gazook. And this is a long way to get somebody to fall in love with you. I will say this. Uh, Loretta is dedicated to her cause. Stupidly so, but dedicated at the very least. This doll must be some kind of ventriloquist dummy. The audio does well syncing up to uh, match the mouth movements. So, Nerdy Loretta has been transformed into Yellow Perry. Don't know where that name comes from. She's gone from nerdy to bombshell very quickly. So now Loretta looks like she fell out of an episode of I Dream of Genie. You know, she's not going to do a little dance thing on top of her head. And uh, so there's that. Now here's Andy with his Superboy mask. And yeah, they are pretty stupid. This being 1990, it looks like those plastic Halloween masks that were impossible to breathe in and i really don't want to go on uh too much about masks here this episode i'm recording this episode on monday night august 3rd and masks are still very much a part of our lives with the whole covid19 pandemic still going on stretching into its fifth or sixth month at this point may things be better when this episode eventually drops in october so yellow perry is going to cause some mischief you know in the uh form of a runaway truck her powers are animated by some yellow smoke and animated stars. And apparently, since she knows Lana and TJ, she's having the truck chase them down to draw Superboy out. Now, the show cheats by not showing Superboy stop the truck. It just stops the Superboy's behind it. I guess the show didn't have the budget for to set up a rig for Superboy to stop the truck. So, you know, you can do a lot with camera tricks uh, when you can't actually show the abilities being used. And, of course, uh, to uh, Yellow Perry's chagrin, there is a whole bunch of autograph seekers who show up immediately after. These autograph seekers show up in no other Superboy appearance, but because it annoys Perry, they're showing up here. And uh, she imagines Superboy uh, falling in love with her. At first, I thought this was actually happening because there was no indication that this was being uh, imagined until we get a hard cut and uh, Perry is by herself with Superboy is still uh, with the autograph seekers. So, Yellow Perry is uh, kind of blocked by Lana. So, apparently, uh, the genie needs to remove Lana if she wants Superboy to herself. Okay, so she knows what to do when she's going to make Gazook proud. Well, I am so happy that her little ragdoll ventriloquist dummy is going to be proud of its genie. All right, so here is a Clark in the gym faking being a weakling. I think Clark takes this bit where he is struggling to uh, put the weights a little bit too far. 
and well, Andy is uh, with Clark as he's uh, pretending to not be able to lift, and uh, Lana will show up, and uh, Andy will hit on Lana mercilessly, but she kind of leaves as soon as he shows up. Or at least I thought she was going to leave, but Andy is still dancing around and making a fool of himself, which is what Andy does. And then Perry shows up and puts Lana in a bubble. A very Superman 3. You know, when the ultimate computer uh, puts a Superman in a bubble. So, Lana's going to suffocate in there. That's her solution. Leave her in a bubble. The puppet is assuming Lana will die. Nobody is taking into account the fact that Superboy is going to help her. And he's in the gym, so where is he? He is nowhere to be found as Lana passes out. Eventually, Clark shows up at the last minute, changes to Superboy, but even Superboy can't stop the bubble with his strength. Andy and Lana are both kind of pounding on it to no avail. It almost looks like she's caught in an inner tube or something. So eventually, what he does is he uses his freeze breath to uh, to, to make the exterior of the bubble brittle, and then he punches it. Kind of breaks like glass at that point. So a little bit of uh, rescue breathing or CPR, and Lana is okay. And Andy is wishing he had the opportunity to do the uh, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. I don't think all this is going to help Superboy uh, fall in love with her. And uh, you know, now that I'm getting a good look at this puppet, he uh, kind of looks like uh, Deacon uh, What's-His-Name from the uh, Poltergeist sequels, you know, the uh, human representation of the Beast. I uh, don't know that character's name off the top of my head, and I'll be honest, I don't feel like looking it up. And now here's something I never knew I needed or wanted, and I didn't. The puppet is channel surfing until they find the news reporter about Superboy saving Lana. Now we're going to move on to uh, this favorite cliche. Perry is going to declare, if I can't have him, no one can. So I guess now we're going to have to kill him. She's acting as though Superboy rejected her, but I don't even think Superboy's actually ever met her. I don't think Superboy has seen Yellow Perry at all to this point in the episode. Even though he's foiled her plans twice, he has never actually encountered her. So now her spell is going to take away Superboy's face. Let's see how the show realizes this. Basically, uh, it looks like an airbrush is uh, drawing Christopher's face in Photoshop, and now he kind of looks like the question. Not a bad animation for uh, something uh, they did quickly. But yeah, basically it looks like they took the uh, smear tool in Photoshop and just erased his face. So now uh, Clark takes one of the uh, Superboy masks uh, so that the show doesn't have to erase his face too much. Basically, it's used to hide Clark's lack of facial features. And it's kind of interesting how the hair in the mask almost matches Gerard Christopher's hair. I wonder if they actually used his uh, face to make the mask. I figured they just went to one of those uh, costume shops and got one of those old kids' uh, Superman costumes with the mask. You know, it's a plastic mask with that uh, very thin string on that held it onto your head that hurt like hell and uh, always snapped. But anyway, I like how Clark wants to wear the mask to go meet Superboy, and Andy thinks it's for the business proposition, so Andy's all happy about that. Words of the wise, Andy. It's not. So I like how he's wearing the mask to hide his uh, blurry face. So he goes to Perry, and she gives him his face back so he can kiss her. At which point now the dummy is talking again, and I'm just about done with this episode. It's clear that the puppet is manipulating her, and she's going to destroy Superboy, and basically she sets the picture on fire and Superboy with it. At this point, when Superboy's starting to kind of writhe on the ground in pain and magic fire, I'm checking the clock, and I'm very happy to see that there are only three minutes to go. I mean, the animation on him is okay, of him burning is okay, and apparently you can't use the heat vision on the puppet because the puppet is magic. But what the puppet didn't realize is that Perry's powers can hurt it. So Superboy basically grabs the puppet and some of the fire from him spreads to the puppet. And in order to save Gazook, Loretta puts out the fire on the puppet and then Gazook leaves and she turns back to dumpy Loretta. Superboy is trying to reassure her that there will always be better ways to find love, but she's crazy. She's obsessed with a doll and he knows a place where you can help her. 
where she can get help. Arkham Asylum comes to mind. So we end with that stupid dummy still awake. I don't understand how you go from an episode as good as Super Menace to one as bad as this one. You know, I just hate this type of plot line with a nerdy person using magic to find love because they're not beautiful. Not a good message to relay. And of course, Superboy tries to remind her that everyone is beautiful in their own way. Someday she'll find love, but you know what? No, no one's going to want this crazy chick. And that's it. I'm done. Stick a fork in me. Next time, going to continue my run through season two with uh, the last time we're going to see Professor Peterson in Microboy. And then we're going to see the return of Dr. Byron Shelley in Run Dracula Run. Till then, feedback's always welcome. Man a screen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over in the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright, they're original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.